Chapter 4, verses 9 through 17 of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lars Rolander. Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians by Martin Luther. Translated by Theodore Grebner. Chapter 4, verse 9. But now, after that ye have known God. Is it not amazing, cries Paul, that you Galatians who knew God intimately by the hearing of the gospel should all of a sudden revert from the true knowledge of his will in which I thought you were confirmed to the weak and beggarly elements of the law? which can only enslave you again. Verse 9. Or rather, are known of God. The apostle turns the foregoing sentence around. He fears the Galatians have lost God altogether. Alas, he cries, have you come to this, that you no longer know God? What else am I to think? Nevertheless, God knows you. Our knowledge of God is rather passive than active. God knows us better than we know God. Ye are known of God means that God brings his gospel to our attention and endows us with faith and the Holy Spirit. Even in these words the apostle denies the possibility of our knowing God by the performance of the law. No man knoweth who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Luke 10, verse 22. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear the iniquities. Isaiah 53, verse 11. The apostle frankly expresses his surprise to the Galatians that they who had known God intimately through the gospel should so easily be persuaded by the false apostles to return to the weak and beggarly elements of the law. I would not be surprised to see my church perverted by some fanatic through one or two sermons. We are no better than the apostles who had to witness the subversion of the churches which they had planted with their own hands. Nevertheless, Christ will reign to the end of the world and that miraculously, as he did during the Dark Ages. Paul seems to think rather ill of the law. He calls it the elements of the world, the weak and beggarly elements of the world. Was it not irreverent for him to speak that way about the holy law of God? The law ought to prepare the way of Christ into the hearts of men. That is the true purpose and function of the law. But if the law presumes to usurp the place and function of the gospel, it is no longer the holy law of God, but a pseudo-gospel. If you care to amplify this matter, you may add the observation that the law is a weak and a beggarly element, because it makes people weak and beggarly. The law has no power and affluence to make men strong and rich before God. 
to seek to be justified by the law amounts to the same thing as if a person who is already weak and feeble should try to find strength in weakness or as if a person with a dropsy should seek a cure by exposing himself to the pestilence or as if a leper should go to a leper and a beggar to a beggar to find health and wealth those who seek to be justified by the law grow weaker and more destitute right along they are weak and bankrupt to begin with they are by nature the children of wrath yet for salvation they grasp at the straw of the law the law can only aggravate their weakness and poverty the law makes them ten times weaker and poorer than they were before i and many others have experienced the truth of this i have known monks who zealously labored to please god for salvation but the more they labored the more impatient miserable uncertain and fearful they became what else can you expect you cannot grow strong through weakness and rich through poverty people who prefer the law to the gospel are like aesop's dog who let go of the meat to snatch at the shadow of the water there is no satisfaction in the law what satisfaction can there be in collecting laws with which to torment oneself and others one law breeds ten more until their number is legion who would have thought it possible that the galatians taught as they were by that efficient apostle and teacher paul could so quickly be led astray by the false apostles to fall away from the gospel is an easy matter because few people appreciate what an excellent treasure the knowledge of christ really is people are not sufficiently exercised in their faith by afflictions they do not wrestle against sin they live in security without conflict because they have never been tried in the furnace of affliction they are not properly equipped with the armor of god and know not how to use the sword of the spirit as long as they are being shepherded by faithful pastors all is well but when their faithful shepherds are gone and wolves disguised as sheep break into the fold back they go to the weak and beggarly elements of the law whoever goes back to the law loses the knowledge of the truth fails in the recognition of his sinfulness does not know god nor the devil nor himself and does not understand the meaning and purpose of the law without the knowledge of christ a man will always argue that the law is necessary for salvation that it will strengthen the weak and enrich the poor wherever this opinion holds sway the promises of god are denied christ is demoted hypocrisy and idolatry are established verse nine whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage the apostle pointedly asked the galatians whether they desire to be in bondage again to the law the law is weak and poor the sinner is weak and poor as two feeble beggars trying to help each other they cannot do it they only wear each other out but through christ a weak and poor sinner is revived and enriched 
unto eternal life. Verse 10. Ye observe days and months, and times and years. The Apostle Paul knew what the false apostles were teaching the Galatians, the observance of days and months and times and years. The Jews had been obliged to keep holy the Sabbath day, the new moons, the feast of the Passover, the feast of tabernacles, and other feasts. The false apostles constrained the Galatians to observe these Jewish feasts under threat of damnation. Paul hastens to tell the Galatians that they were exchanging their Christian liberty for the weak and beggarly elements of the world. Verse 11 I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. It grieves the apostle to think that he might have preached the gospel to the Galatians in vain. But this statement expresses more than grief. Behind his apparent disappointment at their failure lurks the sharp reprimand that they had forsaken Christ, and that they were proving themselves to be obstinate unbelievers. But he does not openly condemn them for fear that over-sharp criticism might alienate them altogether. He therefore changes the tone of his voice and speaks kindly to them. Verse 12. Be as I am, for I am as ye are. Up to this point, Paul has been occupied with the doctrinal aspect of the apostasy of the Galatians. He did not conceal his disappointment at their lack of stability. He had rebuked them, he had called them fools, crucifiers of Christ, etc. Now that the more important part of his epistle has been finished, he realizes that he has handled the Galatians too roughly. Anxious lest he should do more harm than good, he is careful to let them see that his criticism proceeds from affection and a true apostolic concern for their welfare. He is eager to mitigate his sharp words with gentle sentiments in order to win them again. Like Paul, all pastors and ministers ought to have much sympathy for their poor straying sheep, and instruct them in the spirit of meekness. They cannot be straightened out in any other way. Over-sharp criticism provokes anger and despair but not repentance. And here let us note, by the way, that true doctrine always produces concord. When men embrace errors, the tie of Christian love is broken. At the beginning of the Reformation we were honored as the true ministers of Christ. Suddenly certain false brethren began to hate us. We had given them no offense, no occasion to hate us. They knew then, as they now know, that ours is the singular desire to publish the gospel of Christ everywhere. What changed their attitude toward us? False doctrine. Seduced into error by the false apostles, the Galatians refused to acknowledge St. Paul as their pastor. The name and doctrine of Paul became obnoxious to them. I fear this epistle recalled very few from their error. Paul knew that the false apostles would misconstrue his censure of the Galatians to their own advantage and say, So, this is your Paul, whom you praise so much. 
what sweet names he is calling you in his letter when he was with you he acted like a father but now he acts like a dictator paul knew what to expect of the false apostles and therefore he is worried he does not know what to say it is hard for a man to defend his cause at a distance especially when he has reason to think that he personally has fallen into disfavor verse twelve be as i am for i am as ye are in beseeching the galatians to be as he is paul expresses the hope that they might hold the same affection for him that he holds for them perhaps i have been a little hard with you forgive it do not judge my heart according to my words we request the same consideration for ourselves our way of writing is incisive and straightforward but there is no bitterness in our heart we seek the honor of christ and the welfare of men we do not hate the pope as to wish him ill we do not desire the death of our false brethren we desire that they may turn from their evil ways to christ and be saved with us a teacher chastises the pupil to reform him the rod hurts but correction is necessary a father punishes his son because he loves his son if he did not love the lad he would not punish him but let him have his own way in everything until he comes to harm paul beseeches the galatians to look upon his correction as a sign that he really cared for them now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby hebrew twelve verse eleven although paul seeks to soften the effect of his reproachful words he does not take them back when a physician administers a bitter potion to a patient he does it to cure the patient the fact that the medicine is bitter is no fault of the physician the malady calls for a bitter medicine paul wants the galatians to judge his words according to the situation that made them necessary verse twelve brethren i beseech you ye have not injured me at all would you call it beseeching the galatians to call them bewitched disobedient crucifiers of christ the apostle calls it an earnest beseeching and so it is when a father corrects his son it means as if he were saying my son i beseech you be a good boy verse twelve ye have not injured me at all i am not angry with you says paul why should i be angry with you since you have done me no injury at all to this the galatians reply why then do you say that we are perverted that we have forsaken the true doctrine that we are foolish bewitched etc if you are not angry we must have offended you somehow paul answers you galatians have not injured me you have injured yourselves 
I chide you not because I wish you ill. I have no reason to wish you ill. God is my witness. You have done me no wrong. On the contrary, you have been very good to me. The reason I write to you is because I love you. The bitter potion must be sweetened with honey and sugar to make it palatable. When parents have punished their children, they give them apples, pears, and other good things to show them that they mean well. Verses 13 and 14 Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. You Galatians were very good to me. When I began to preach the gospel to you, in the infirmity of my flesh, and in great temptation, you were not at all offended. On the contrary, you were so loving, so kind, so friendly towards me, you received me like an angel, like Jesus himself. Indeed, the Galatians are to be commended for receiving the gospel from a man as unimposing and afflicted all around as Paul was. Wherever he preached the gospel, Jews and Gentiles raved against him. All the influential and religious people of his day denounced him. But the Galatians did not mind it. That was greatly to their honor, and Paul does not neglect to praise them for it. This praise Paul bestows on none of the other churches to which he wrote. St. Jerome and others of the ancient fathers allege this infirmity of Paul's to have been some physical defect or concupiscence. Jerome and the other diagnosticians lived at a time when the church enjoyed peace and prosperity, when the bishops increased in wealth and standing, when pastors and bishops no longer sat over the word of God. No wonder they failed to understand Paul. When Paul speaks of the infirmity of his flesh, he does not mean some physical defect or carnal lust, but the sufferings and afflictions which he endured in his body. What these infirmities were, he himself explains in the Second Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am I strong? And in the eleventh chapter of the same epistle, the apostle writes, In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, etc. Second Corinthians 11 verses 23 to 25 by the infirmity of his flesh paul meant these afflictions and not some chronic disease he reminds the galatians how he was always in peril at the hands of jews gentiles and false brethren 
how he suffered hunger and want. Now the afflictions of the believers always offend people. Paul knew it, and therefore has high praise for the Galatians, because they overlooked his afflictions and received him like an angel. Christ forewarned the faithful against the offense of the cross, saying, Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Matthew 11, verse 6. Surely it is no easy thing to confess him Lord of all and Saviour of the world, who was a reproach of men and despised of the people and the laughing-stock of the world. Psalm 22, verse 7. I say, to value this poor Christ, so spitfully scorned, spit upon, scourged, and crucified, more than the riches of the richest, the strength of the strongest, the wisdom of the wisest, is something. It is worth being called blessed. Paul not only had outward afflictions, but also inner spiritual afflictions. He refers to these in the Second Corinthians 7, verse 6. Without were fightings, within were fears. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul makes mention of the restorations of Epaphroditus as a special act of mercy on the part of God lest i should have sorrow upon sorrow considering the many afflictions of paul we are not surprised to hear him loudly praising the galatians for not being offended at him as others were the world thinks us mad because we go about to comfort to help to save others while we ourselves are in distress people tell us physician heal thyself luke 4 verse 23 the apostle tells the galatians that he will keep their kindness in perpetual remembrance indirectly he also reminds them how much they had loved him before the invasion of the false apostles and gives them a hint that they should return to their first love for him verse 15 where is then the blessedness ye spake of how much happier you used to be and how you Galatians used to tell me that you were blessed, and how much did I not praise and commend you formerly. Paul reminds them of former and better times in an effort to mitigate his sharp reproaches, lest the false apostles should slander him and misconstrue his letter to his disadvantage and to their own advantage. Such snakes in the grass are equal to anything. They will pervert words spoken from a sincere heart and twist them to mean just the opposite of what they were intended to convey. They are like spiders that suck venom out of sweet and fragrant flowers. The poison is not in the flowers, but it is the nature of the spider to turn what is good and wholesome into poison. Verse 15 For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me the apostle continues his praise of the galatians you did not only treat me very courteously if it had been necessary you would have plucked out your eyes and sacrificed your lives for me and in very fact the galatians sacrificed their lives for paul by receiving and maintaining paul 
they called upon their own heads the hatred and malice of all the jews and gentiles nowadays the name of luther carries the same stigma whoever praises luther is a worse sinner than an idolater perjurer or thief verse sixteen am i therefore become your enemy because i tell you the truth paul's reason for praising the galatians is to avoid giving them the impression as if he were their enemy because he had reprimanded them a true friend will admonish his erring brother and if the erring brother has any sense at all he will thank his friend in the world truth produces hatred whoever speaks the truth is counted an enemy but among friends it is not so much less among christians the apostle wants his galatians to know that just because he had told them the truth they are not to think that he dislikes them i told you the truth because i love you verse seventeen they zealously affect you but not well paul takes the false apostles to task for their flattery satan's satellites soft soap the people paul calls it by good words and fair speeches to deceive the hearts of the simple romans sixteen verse eighteen they tell me that by my stubbornness in this doctrine of the sacrament i am destroying the harmony of the church they say it would be better if we would make some slight concession rather than cause such commotion and controversy in the church regarding an article which is not even one of the fundamental doctrines my reply is cursed be any love or harmony which demands for its preservation that we place the word of god in jeopardy verse seventeen yea they would exclude you that ye might effect them do you galatians know why the false apostles are so zealous about you they expect you to reciprocate and that would leave me out if their seal were right they would not mind your loving me but they hate my doctrine and want to stamp it out in order to bring this to pass they go about to alienate your hearts from me and to make me obnoxious to you in this way paul brings the false apostles into suspicion he questions their motives he maintains that their seal is mere pretense to deceive the galatians our saviour christ also warned us saying beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing matthew seven verse fifteen paul was considerably disturbed by the commotions and changes that followed in the wake of his preaching he was accused of being a pestilent fellow a mover of sedition among all the jews throughout the world acts twenty four verse five in philippi the townspeople cried that he troubled their city and taught customs which were not lawful for them to receive acts sixteen verse twenty and twenty one all troubles calamities famines wars were laid to the charge of the gospel of the apostles however the apostles were not deterred by such calumnies from preaching the gospel they knew that they ought to obey god rather than men and that it was better for the world to be upset 
than to be ignorant of Christ. Do you think for a moment that these reactions did not worry the apostles? They were not made of iron. They foresaw the revolutionary character of the gospel. They also foresaw the dissensions that would creep into the church. It was bad news for Paul when he heard that the Corinthians were denying the resurrection of the dead, that the churches he had planted were experiencing all kinds of difficulties, and that the gospel was being supplanted by false doctrines. But Paul also knew that the gospel was not to blame. He did not resign his office because he knew that the gospel he preached was the power of God unto salvation to every one that believes. The same criticism which was leveled at the apostles is leveled at us. The doctrine of the gospel, we are told, is the cause of all the present unrest in the world. There is no wrong that is not laid to our charge. But why? We do not spread wicked lies. We preach the glad tidings of Christ. Our opponents will bear us out when we say that we never fail to urge respect for the constituted authorities, because that is the will of God. All of these vilifications cannot discourage us. We know that there is nothing the devil hates worse than the gospel. It is one of his little tricks to blame the gospel for every evil in the world. Formerly, when the traditions of the fathers were taught in the church, the devil was not excited as he is now. It goes to show that our doctrine is of God, else behemoth would lie under shady trees in the covert of the reed and fence. The fact that he is again walking about as a roaring lion to stir up riots and disorders is a sure sign that he has begun to feel the effect of our preaching. End of chapter 4, verses 9 through 17 of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians Read by Lars Rolander